you want to ditch feature dumping, build trust and earn the opportunity to become your prospect's trusted guide, then say hello to the Influential Communicator newsletter. Now, listen, my friend, my intention is clear because with one actionable weekly email keyword actionable my goal is to transform you into a captivating storyteller communicator and presenter so if this is a bit of you then head on down to www.theinfluentialcommunicator.com to register now and by the way if you do sign up know that you'll also receive my free guide on how to craft a punchy and high converting elevator story i'll see you on the other side Welcome to the Influential Communicator Podcast, where my mission is to help B2B salespeople sell more by becoming authentic storytellers and impactful communicators without suppressing who they truly are or their values. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani, and without further wait, let's get into it. Now, I could tell you that Maggie Callahan is a bootstrapping enablement legend. I could tell you that. And I also, I could tell you that she cares deeply about every single seller that she comes into contact with over at One Trust. I could tell you that. And I suppose I could tell you that she's obsessed with morning walks with her dog over in Connecticut to help her, I suppose, start her morning the right way. You know, I could tell you that, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tell you that because just like Maggie, today's episode is that a little bit unique and that little bit different. Now, a few months back, Maggie flew to Ireland and during her trip, she decided to go and see some sights. And there she stumbled upon a tour guide who gave her an experience that she will never forget. And in today's episode, she's going to teach us how to create an unforgettable buyer experience for your prospects and customers by unlocking the power of story. And we're going to be going through the story of her specific experience with this human, dissecting it and getting tactical. There we have it. Maggie, welcome to the show, my friend. What's good? Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Mm, mm, mm. I'm excited because I know we were going back and forth over some topics. And when you said, I've got this idea, there was this thing that happened and you told me and I was like, ah, that's what we need to talk about. That's exactly what we need to talk about. So I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we're here now. Now, listen, I'm going to mention three words to you. And I want you to tell me exactly what comes up for you when I mention these three words. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Gone, crunchy, granola. (laughs) what comes up for me um failure in the best possible way and so with that like i do believe that lessons come from failure that's the first thing that i think when i think of gone crunchy granola so for the for the audience who are like what are they talking about tell us a little bit about gone crunchy granola and tell us a little bit about that experience in the context. Sure. Happily gone crunchy granola is a business that I started and owned and ran through my university days. So at college at the university of Vermont, and it all started actually because I was a community entrepreneurship minor. I loved business and I loved baking 
And my mom and dad told me that they would not help me pay for my rent through the summer where I wanted to stay in Vermont with all of my best friends from college, unless I started my own business. So I don't know what kind of parenting that was, but it worked very well. I ended up uh, starting an LLC, selling at farmers markets in Burlington, Vermont, and across New England. And, you know, funny enough, I actually spent significantly more money than it would have been if I had just paid my own rent. But I think that that's what ended up being the entire lesson. After a couple of years, I decided to shut it down. It was a lot of work. And so while people may think of that as failure, it was one of the greatest lessons in doing something that was really risky when I was very young and learning a whole lot. I love that story because I can imagine me doing that to my daughter, right? And she's not <laughs> much, right? But I'm thinking about like 19, I'm probably going to hit her with something like that. But I love it. I love it. So you've given us a little bit of context about who you are, but what is something else that is not out there in the public domain in terms of the context of you and your story that would really help us get a rather better understanding of who you are today? I am a deep practitioner of meditation and yoga. I'm a very big yogi and it has completely transformed and changed my life. What a lot of people, a lot of people who know me younger in my career would probably tell you that I'm extremely impatient. And I think as I get more honed in on uh, becoming myself, my true self and evolving, and really leaning into those practices of yoga and meditation uh, and just intuition, I have really started to be significantly more patient and uh, just easygoing with so many more things. I feel like I have a very different perspective on life and I'm really grateful for the time that I've spent really working through that. You said the words true self. So I'm curious to know from your meditation practice, what is one thing that you've uncovered recently, which has helped you get even more comfortable in your own skin as an enablement professional, but also as a human being? One very specific thing is I really do genuinely believe that oftentimes we know the answer. We're just scared to like gain the momentum to move forward with that answer. And so when I am questioning something like, you know, it could be anything from what do I want to eat to, for dinner to something that's going on in my personal relationships to how am I feeling about my job or about work? Um, I sit in med my meditation practice and I really think through and feel through what that question is that I'm asking myself and whatever does come up for me. I pay really close attention to. It's no longer just letting life happen to me. It's manifesting and uh, control is the wrong word, but shaping the experience that I'm having. And um, I'm really grateful for that. The time that I give myself is really, really important for that. It's so funny, but I suppose if you would ask the 20 year old version of me who was I wouldn't say hustle focused, but then I would say hustle focused, right? Really believed in the power of hustle, which I think has its place. But, you know, if I take it back to me two weeks ago, I was sitting in Greece 
and I was eating great food, sleeping well, swimming daily, working out, meditating, and it allowed me to slow down, which gave me all of the answers that I needed versus me being at my desk, trying to work through it. And sometimes we really need to slow down to speed up and allow the answers to come through us and actually feel it versus block it with external opinions, blah, 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 blah. What do you think? You're clapping there. So I think you resonate with it. I mean, I could not agree more. I think that that uh, that term slow down to speed. It's not even just that because there's no time where we have to move faster. Everything is happening in the right time for us to learn the lesson that we're meant to learn. And I actually think that it's more of if you're not listening, it feels like you're having to move slower. And when you are pushing into that hustle, you're typically adding friction to something that you haven't learned yet. So if you can pay attention to what it is that you're learning in that experience, I really believe that, you know, I I say this to my peers and to the people that I lead all the time. At the time that you feel a lot of friction is typically right before expansion, if you allow the friction to happen. But if you don't allow the friction to happen and you ignore it or you push on it, it won't happen. You won't get the beauty of the expansion. And so I think it's actually leaning into it as opposed to feeling like that means that you have to be slow. Oh, I love this. You know, you know what's funny? You know what's coming up for me is there was a few moments when I had certain aha moments whilst I was in Greece and things which were uncomfortable and I know I have to lean into them because I just know, right? Like, you know, sometimes you just know, you're like, okay, I've got to lean into this. Isn't it so beautiful, but also so annoying when that happens? Because you're like, ah, like I know what I should do, but it's like, there's so much resistance. And a mentor once taught me this. He said, listen, Rev, before there's a breakthrough, there's a breakdown. And I find that fascinating, right? And the next thing is, is this is somebody separate, actually, a separate mentor is really listening to your body and where you feel expansion and contraction. Like even when you mention like certain people's names, if you feel contraction, it's like, mm, are they in alignment with who you are? Like it's fascinating, right? That's absolutely right. I even take it to, like you can you can get very heady with this and I can go there for sure. But if you want something more tangible, you know, people talk about their health and wellness all of the time. And we talk about gaining balance or harmony with work and life and how do you stay fit and how do you stay healthy and how do you eat right and how do you have time and all of these things. And I even take that in the same exact vein. I think to myself, you know, I've really struggled. This is such a silly example, but I've really struggled for the last four years eating eggs. I don't know what it is. I love eggs. I can't eat them. They make my stomach hurt, etc. And I've pushed it. For the past four years, every like two months, I'll, t- I'll try it again. I'll feel like crap, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, it's gotten to the point where I'm just like, I can't eat these. They don't make me feel good. And I went a couple of years without it and giving my body the time to actually like trust myself again. And that's such a, again, that's such a silly example of food, but my body's now readapted. I am eating eggs most mornings. And so I think you just also need to be willing to give yourself time and space. And it's okay. 
that growth takes time. So true. And I also think what works for one person may not work for another. So sometimes you can look at somebody's physique and they'll give you their diet and you're like, okay, well, I need to have steak in the morning. Well, it's like, hold on for, for you and the way that you process food that may not make sense. And let's take it to sellers now. Sellers will say, oh my God, cold calling. Yeah. Or, oh my God, LinkedIn. Oh my God, speaking on stages. I need to do that. But is it right for who you are, your energy, and the way that you can be the most magnetizing to really get the right people into your world? And I tell you what, for me, I'm biased, but I think storytelling is one of the most impactful and influential things that we can do to really attract the right people and repel the ones that we don't want in our world. And that leads us beautifully to this one dude in Dublin, the tour guide, aka the hostess, the hostess, is it, was he, was it a he or a she? Host. The host. The, I was going to say the hostess with the mostess, but that doesn't work now. So the host with, with the most. Yeah, let's let's run with that. So <laughs> let's take it back for a second. So walk us through what happened and also some tangible lessons that you took on the back of the way that he handled that experience or rather the journey that he put you through. Certainly. So I think most people can relate to going on a tour and having a tour guide somewhere, you know, you've gone with your family or you're taking your children and sometimes they can be dreadful and you're walking around a foreign place and it's hot and people's feet hurt and you're learning all of this history and you're like, why this doesn't even matter. I don't get it. I don't know history, you know, etc. I have to say we all woke up. It was a large group of us, uh, my entire family and then an extended family, aunts and uncles and some cousins. And we had a tour guide that met us in Kinsale, Ireland. And he started the entire journey of this two and a half hour walk around Kinsale, completely different than I've ever experienced a tour. And he started by asking each of us, what was it that we did? Where are we, all of us living currently? And what are some of the things that we've really enjoyed so far about being in Ireland? Didn't start with, you know, here's what we're going to see today. This is what we're going to do and more cookie cutter. He made it human immediately, immediately. I didn't think much of it when he was asking the questions. I felt like that was just a cordial experience that he was kicking off our tour with. But what I didn't realize was that he would use all of the information that he gained from us at every single stop on the walking tour. It was unbelievable. Not only his memory, but the ability that he had to create analogies for things like uh, feminism in Ireland for my aunt who is a judge and cares deeply about women's rights about the arts world of theater and, and acting and music, which my younger sister is uh, in the world of acting and design and musical theater. And for me, sales and technology and how sales and technology and the technologies within Ireland uh, over the course of thousands of years have progressed around Kinsale. It was just absolutely fascinating. 
sales kickoff season is coming people and i love it man i love it because it's such an exciting time as a speaker but for enablement professionals and revenue leaders well it can be kind of stressful you know and having delivered storytelling keynotes and workshops for revenue teams like netsuite crunchbase and ab tasty I know it's not just about motivation and inspiration, but also about finding the right speaker who can educate your audience and spark a long lasting shift in behavior. So, hey, if you are thinking about storytelling as a theme for kicking off your new fiscal year, then head on down to www.theraviRajani.com forward slash speaking to check out my speaker reel. Take a look at some of my topics and some customer stories to see if there's a fit. And if there is, then you can scroll down to the bottom and book an alignment call with me directly. All right, let's get back to the show. So the lesson I am taking away from that is start in a way in your customer interactions. Start in a way that creates an instant pattern interruption because it's different than anything they've ever experienced before. And instead of vomiting the features and functionality of your product solution, or in this instance, the attraction, ask interesting questions, which ultimately give you the language and the stories you need to create a customized experience. Yeah, I mean, I think of this uh, two ways that interconnect. We so quickly forget about relating to people's perspectives that they already have. And if you truly do believe that perception is reality, which I do, everybody's perspective of the experience that you're actively bringing them into is going to be the memory that they have of you, your company, your voice, your words. And that is so incredibly important because they will relate significantly more when they understand those words because they are similar to the ones that they use in their day to day. They'll understand that experience more if you're relating it back to something that they actually understand or that they have experienced in their professional life, in their personal life, et cetera. And I actually talk about this, not even just with sellers, but with enablers, because so often we lose this mentality of experience and storytelling in training too. And so I always share with people, like my entire training methodology is Socratic method. And so I always start everything out with, all right, does anybody have any idea what the Socratic method is? This is going to be an entire conversation. Nobody's answers are wrong or right at all. All of your perspectives and your experiences are what make you great. And your peers in this working group here are going to share theirs with you too, so that you can create a story that is powerful in your voice, not so that you're just reverberating the message that I'm telling you, our product pitch, our elevator, whatever, that you're creating it for yourself because it's so much more powerful when it's human. Yeah, keyword human. And I think it's really easy to forget about the human being behind the prospect when it's two days until you are going to get called in 
by your boss because you haven't get hit quota or whatever it could be. And I think it's really easy to stink of commission breath and really forget with them, as Zig Ziglar said, right? What's in it for me? So I love that. I love that. Okay, so Homeboy is taking you around everywhere. He's telling the stories. He's saying, oh, look at this. This is where XYZ happened. Here's what it relates to you, Maggie, when it comes to sales and tech. What else did you learn? What was the second pivotal lesson for you, if that's even a phrase? I do feel as though it's easy to overcomplicate in your mind all of the information that you need to be prepared with going into a customer conversation or a tour in this situation. When in reality, he kept things so incredibly simple that we could understand them quickly. And so, you know, I do think that, uh, first of all, research and discovery questions and all of those things are pivotal to making sure that you have a good conversation with a prospect or a customer. But what can easily dampen the experience for your respective prospect or your customer is if you are going so incredibly tactical or in the weeds with your research. For example, I see this sometimes with reps where they'll go to a 10K and they will copy and paste a piece of a 10K and say, you know, on paragraph 10, line 16, you wrote about the risk of da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And listen, like, I've also been there. I have been the person that has said, here are the major risks that your company is calling out. It's not often that you're talking to the prospect that wrote out that entire 10K or maybe like really doesn't even understand what the heck that even means. And so I think it's easy for us to overcomplicate the experience that we're actively putting a customer in by getting so deep in the weeds with your research versus, you know, having a couple of things in your back pocket about that specific prospect and about their company, and then coming prepared with some really key questions to ask them that will shape the experience that they're going to have with you. How did this tour guide do this with you? He didn't have any information on us before we walked up to him, first of all. Yeah, so it's quite a different experience where he was asking us questions about our perspectives of our our time in Ireland, about what we do for work. And he had a handful of questions that it's very clear that he asks most of his groups. And he pivoted with questions and analogies in real time, as opposed to coming to us with this booklet of tour information for people from the United States, you know, and blanketing to to your point earlier, blanketing that this should be the same for every single person. I went on holiday with my family and my now wife, and this was a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, maybe 2019. And we were looking around this place called Chichen Itza, which is apparently one of the wonders of the world and the tour guide. Whilst I can't remember his face, I very vividly remember wanting to run away and just go do my own thing. Like pretending I wanted to get, I wanted to get lost and just be like, Oh, I'll meet you at the bus, dude. Like I was like, Oh, like, like you said, my feet hurt. It was hot this wasn't capturing my attention and I didn't want to be a part of the experience, which, hey, sometimes can feel like a demo. It can feel like a demo. But interestingly, as you said, knowing the buyer is key, but also knowing them 
in a way that is simple and relevant is even more key, I suppose. So if you were a seller, what type of research would you do to ensure it's short, sharp to the point and also relevant to them, not paragraph eight, volume four on their 10K? Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I do think that 10Ks are valuable and that they are good things to look at so that you have some items in your back pocket. Uh, but my my standard is always LinkedIn research on that specific person. I'm looking for where in the world they are. I'm looking for any type of university or college experiences. I'm looking towards their connections and who they typically gravitate towards, what they comment on, what they post. And I look for the language that they use as opposed to you know, the company, the big language of the company initially, because I want to have an immediate human interaction, people interaction. The one thing that I really want to bring up here, because I think it's essential, is the question that people may be asking themselves listening is, yeah, this might be easy when you're having a one-to-one conversation with your first prospect, but what happens when you start multi-threading and you get more than one person in a room? And how do you do the research on all of those people and understand how those people play different roles within the uh, the customer journey or at that company that you're actively selling into? And I think that this brings back another essential and simple point that so many sellers and sales managers forget. All of those people typically do have different perspectives of you, want to see different things of your tool or system or solution. And if you continuously give each of them the same exact experience, you're setting yourself up for failure. Each of them understand a different story from you and likely need to hear a different story from you. And so whether you're then gathering research from your champion and asking good questions about the other people who are going to be in the room, or you are diversifying your research, not just doing it on your champion, but on the other people that are going to be in the room, like your technical buyers, your economic buyers, and potentially your coaches, and able to actually walk the walk with each of them in their own way as well. I think it's really important. So correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds as though what you're saying is the salesperson is the tour guide. The attraction is the demo and the individuals, aka you and your family in a business sense are the buyers, the champions, the influencers, decision makers, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So really ensuring that you understand each of them, what makes them tick and their perspective will allow you to share the right story to engage them all in a unique way. Very good analogy. That's exactly right. There we go. Beautiful. I love this. I love this. So I know you had one final takeaway, which you took away from this this dude. What was that? He loved his job more than I've ever seen anybody love their job. I mean, the positive energy that he emanated into the world just truly made you want to be around him, want to listen to him. And going all the way back full circle, the energy that you give off in conversations to friends, family members, prospects, customers, your boss, etc., that permeates everything about the experience that somebody's going to have with you. There's so much research about this, like people can literally feel the difference when you're smiling on the phone 
People can literally feel the difference when you're, you've had a bad day. And I just believe so deeply that if you can have some type of ritual that you practice right before you're getting on a higher stakes conversation with the customer or prospect, get in front of the mirror, do a scream like Rebecca does in Ted Lasso. I love that one. And do, or like, you know, stand up tall, shake it out, go walk outside with bare feet, do something that makes you feel grounded and positive and walk in and smile. Because that truly changes the entire experience that anybody is going to have with you. And it it just shapes the way that people think about you and the stories that you're telling. Oh, I mean, preach, literally preach, because people like buying from people who have a lust for life and what they're doing. I don't know about you, but I don't want to buy from somebody who hates what they do, clearly shows they hate what they do. I'm like, oh, this just feels wrong, man. Like I love people who have great energy. You could just feel it even through a camera lens. You can feel it, right? Yes. And you know, so many people, I believe in the power of being in person and there is nothing like being in person in a room with your customers, all of it. But I do think that it is possible to come across in video and that that's just exactly what we've had to adapt to, you know, turning your video on, having something in front of you. I have my vision board in front of me that I absolutely love looking at every day that makes me happy. Like surround your space with things that make you feel like you so that when you're walking in to a customer phone call, to a podcast like this, when you're doing a presentation in front of your executive leadership team, you feel like you. It will come across so much be- more beautifully. I can tell you this, my friend. I think you have great energy. You really do have very pure and great energy. So I want to acknowledge you for that one. I want to acknowledge you for that one. But I know there was a few questions which you had up your sleeve in terms of a process that a seller can ask themselves before they take their next prospect through their next journey. So what are those questions? What is that process and system? Reveal all of the goodness. Yeah. I think of this as what questions that you can ask that make this more of a tour through the customer journey, as opposed to a rigid sales staged process. And so again, I circle this all the way back to, it's about experience, customers experience and customer's journey. And so a few questions that I would reshape, whether you're asking them today in some way, shape, or form, or you're not at all introducing them into the customer conversation. And those are really, what has your experience been with this company, with this department, with using the current systems and tools that you're using? It doesn't always have to be about what has your experience been with competitor. And I think we over-rotate to competitor, competitor. But what is your experience, Mr. or Mrs. Customer or Prospect, in current state of affairs? The second would be, what have you seen or heard in relation to this type of technology or in your type of business that you've really loved? I think back to the tour guide who asked, so talk to me about the places in Ireland that you've loved so much and how he then filtered that back into how those places and the things that we learned about those places connected into Kinsale's history, which was very cool. So we kept reiterating the same type of stories. The third question would be, how does your current experience relate to the other experiences you've had across 
your career? This is a hugely important question because oftentimes we eliminate all of the prospect or customer's previous interactions with other technologies or other people, other departments, or other ways that organizations that they've previously worked at have operated. And that really gives good guidance for how they think about the world. And especially early on in their career, what starts to shape them. If you're talking to somebody who's 20 years in, what has really shaped them to get to where they are today? And then finally, I actually always used to ask this question and I love it so much, but it's, if you could do it all again, where would you spend more time? It's not about what would you do differently? It's where would you spend more time? Whether that's researching, whether that's asking questions, whether that's you'd spend more time with your people and teaching them how to use these technologies or systems or tools. Would you spend it doing career or culture building. And that will tell you a whole lot about what your prospect really does care about. That's really, really interesting, that final question, because I didn't expect you to say that. And it's a very, it's a pattern interrupting question, I would say, because I guarantee they probably haven't been asked that question in that context before. And it's way better than, hey, if you had a magic wand and you could wave it, where would you be in six months time? Right? It's, no. right? That, was, that was so much better. So ladies and gents, you need to pause, rewind, go back to those four questions, scribble them down and use them with intentionality in your next customer conversation. So there we have it, ladies and gents, Maggie Callahan on all things creating vibrant and memorable customer experiences through the power of storytelling. Now, listen, my friend, the show, as you know, is called The Influential Communicator. And I always love to ask guests, who in this season of your life do you look up to as an influential communicator and why? My partner... Matt is so influential for me in so many ways. And I say this in relation to communication uh, for two reasons. One, this is probably contrary to what you think I'm going to say. He's a relatively poor communicator. Okay. <laughs> and so what? That, where's this going? Okay. That is actually, no, it's extremely influential because he's helping me to understand how I can communicate with him more powerfully so that it's almost like we're teaching each other how to continuously communicate with one another. And I do believe that your partner teaches you so incredibly much and watching him really lean into how he communicates is really powerful for me to watch and witness and get the chance to experience. But not only that, his patience with my communication about all things is really, really inspirational, grounding, and influential to the person that I'm becoming. So I appreciate him very much for that. What a hook, ladies and gents. Huh? I value my other half, Matt, as an influential communicator because he's such a poor communicator. <laughs> I, bet all of, I, bet, I bet all of you are like, hold on, is, is, that, is that a typo? But I love that. Or uh, she said something wrong there. That was so good. I love that. I love that. Well, Maggie, listen, where can people go to learn more about you and OneTrust, the business that you work at? 
Yes. Well, you can find us at OneTrust, OneTrust.com. We are hiring for a ton of roles right now. If you're interested at all, please feel free to give me a shout on my DMs on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn. I love chatting with people. So message me at any point in time. Uh, This was so much fun. I loved every minute of it. I appreciate you, my friend. I appreciate the kind words. Ladies and gents, Maggie Callahan. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you know what you need to do, man. Leave us a review because you know I'll appreciate it a ton. All right, I'll see you next week. Same time, same place for another episode of The Influential Communicator. Peace. I have a question for you, my friend. And that question is, is what would it take to have you subscribe to the Influential Communicator podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice? Because I tell you what, my friend, my big mission is to help B2B sellers and all listeners of this show sell more by becoming influential storytellers and communicators without without suppressing their personality and disowning their value. So hey, the more the word gets out about this podcast, the more people we can gather on this mission. So if you could support me, then hey, that would be dope. And if not, that's dope too. Either way, I got love for you. All right, I'll see you on the other side.